Hello, and welcome to the Scripts and Scribes podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Fukunaga. For more great interviews and resources on the craft and business of writing, be sure to check out our companion website, scriptsandscribes.com. First, I'm pleased to have on the show a former television executive turned entertainment career consultant and author. For nearly 20 years, she was a senior uh, TV development executive at CBS, Amblin, and Canal Plus, and heard over 3,000 pitches, bought hundreds of projects, and developed dozens of TV series. She's currently the director of the WGA Showrunner Training Program, the CBS Writers Mentoring Program, and the Humanitas New Voices Program, and the author of Hollywood Game Plan, How to Land a Job in Film, TV, and Digital Entertainment, the very popular how-to guide for aspiring Hollywood hopefuls. And she also does entertainment career counseling on the side through her company, Park on the Lot. I'm very pleased to have on Carol Kirshner. Thanks for coming on, Carol. Thank you so much for having me, and um, you'll get a check in the mail for that introduction. Not at all. Not It's all true. All we do is just it is true, distill but, it down. Uh, very nice. Well, uh, it's a pleasure to have you on. Um, you're a former development executive, and, and now you spend your time sharing your years of knowledge and experience to others through the great programs that you are the director of, the WGA, Humanitas, CBS Diversity, uh, and your book. So you've Obviously, you've been in the industry a while now. You've done quite a bit. And I wanted to ask you, we normally start off this way. We wanted to ask you about your background. How did you get started in the industry and, and what led you to where you are now, your current position? Sure. Um, well, I actually started, I mean, what launched me into this career was I was an assistant at a museum. And one oh. of the volunteers said to me, I have a friend who's a writer-producer and is starting a company. Do you want to be his assistant? And at first I said no, because I was an aspiring stand-up comic. And I thought, you know, in about two weeks I'm going to be rich and famous, so I don't need to take that job. <laughs> and then um, I woke up the next day and thought, what the hell am I thinking? And I said, yes, of course. And I worked for him and his partner for five years. They did TV movies back when you could make a living doing TV movies. Mm -hmm. And uh, then I got a job at CBS. It, oh, and my, my days of being a stand-up comic, uh, I ended them because I'm a nice Jewish girl and I needed to be on the other side of mm. the table from... <laughs> um, from having to, you know, travel 300 days a year and stay at Howard Johnson's. Anyway, <laughs> so I was at CBS for four years, and while I was there, I did um, was involved in Designing Women and uh, Murphy Brown. Then I went over to Spielberg and Spielberg's Amblin Television, and it was the first one, not the current one, and I helped start that. Um, and we did Tiny Toons and Harry and the Hendersons, and from there, I went to Limelight, where I developed Reboot. And I can always tell who the nerds are by the ones who remember Reboot. It was about 100 years ago on ABC, and it was the first uh, fully computer-generated animated series on U.S. television. Hmm. And then went to Canal Plus, and then... My daughter was born, and all I was doing was traveling internationally to sell projects. And I realized, why have a kid if you're never going to be home? Because my husband and the nanny were raising her. Mm. And I became a consultant. And the first thing I did was the CBS Diversity Writers Mentoring Program. I created that with oh. my colleague at CBS. Great. And it was so gratifying. We are now in year 12. Mm. 
And 70 writers of color have gone through the program, and we've helped launch the careers of more than 30 writers of color. And um, because of that, I was asked to help Jeff Melvoin, who's the creator of the WGA Showrunner Training Program, and I was asked to help him develop the curriculum. We're now in year 11 of that program, and um, something like 68 new shows have been created by alumni. And then because of the work I was doing there, I was asked to help um, Kathleen Young, who's the executive director of Humanitas. I was asked to help her sort of redesign and run the Humanitas New Voices program. So CBS is for baby writers, Humanitas is for emerging writers, and the WGA is for very experienced writers that have their own show or are about to have their own show on the air. And in the midst of all that, um, people kept asking me, would I meet with their nephew? Would I talk to the student? And I love doing that. I like helping people that are just breaking in, and that's why I wrote the book. Um, The book was the hardest thing I've ever done. It Mm. took me about two years. I gained 10 pounds, and I developed a rash. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, you know, those last two things are over, thank goodness. Um, And the book, I'm really proud to say, is in many universities in film departments. And, And also because of that work, I like to work, I mean, some of my most gratifying work is working individually with clients one-on-one. So I have a career coaching practice called Park on the Lot. Mm-hmm. Does that answer your question? That <laughs> does. That no, that's great. That's great. Um, so uh, you've got, there's so much to talk about because you have so much going on. There's so many different things. We'll, so we'll go, we'll go through them one by one. Um, okay. A lot of our listeners are newer writers, so they may not be as familiar or they may have heard the terms or have heard of, you know, Humanitas or the CBS uh, Writers Mentoring Program, but not that familiar with it. But for newer writers who may not really know what these are, the fellowships and the diversity programs, mentoring programs, can you explain what specifically, I guess, the CBS Mentoring Program is uh, and what it hopes to accomplish? And then we can talk a little about Humanitas as well. Absolutely. So the CBS Diversity Institute Writers Mentoring Program is a program that was designed to provide access for underrepresented writers, people who might not, you know, if you're a white Jewish guy, you probably have an easier time getting in mm-hmm. um, because there's people that you'll know or the showrunner will say, yeah, this is my people. Um, but if you're a person of color, if you're LGBT, it's sometimes much harder to just get access to those people. And I'm not disparaging white Jewish guys because I'm married <laughs> to a white Jewish guy. Um, but so that was the purpose of the program. Um, and our purpose is not to just launch the careers of new writers of color. Sometimes that gets to be a trap where you get your first job, but then you don't get other jobs. Mm -hmm. So really our goal is to help create and develop the showrunners of the future. Because once there are diverse showrunners, then the issues of diversity and inclusion really won't be an issue anymore. Right. Um, So that's the goal. And right now... 
two of our, three of our mentees are showrunners, so I couldn't be happier about that. And there's been people who've been in my CBS program who are then in my WGA showrunner training program, and that's very gratifying. I've mm-hmm. said gratifying about three times now, but I mean it. <laughs> it's very exciting. I mean, I'm so lucky. I'm the luckiest woman in show business because I don't have to sell anything, and all I do is help people. It, right. it just it doesn't get better than that. So you asked about how does CBS work? what the program is. Right. So CBS is, um, it's an eight-month program. You start, and there's only six or seven people in the program after, out of about 600 or 700 applicants. It's mm-hmm. a very intimate program. Right. Uh, the first four months, the writers work individually with a executive, a CBS or CW executive, and... Um, they write a spec script or a pilot under the supervision of the mentorship of that executive. Now, starting in, and that starts in October, starting in January through April, I run workshops. And the workshops are, in my opinion, and I have been told, they're very helpful. I have executives, agents, managers, showrunners come and speak. And this year, Glenn Geller, who's the new CBS president of television, Mm -hmm. uh, did a class on Meeting 101. The purpose of those workshops are certainly to educate writers about the business, but also really, because this is my focus, is how do you present yourself in the best possible way? How do you market yourself because even though writers are creative professionals, it's still essential to be able to market yourself, to be able to promote yourself without being a jerk. Um, All successful people do it. Very rarely is there somebody that just sits at their desk writing, never meets anybody, never talks to anybody, and then gets a gig. That's more likely in features, less likely in television. Mm Mm-hmm. So we have uh, mock showrunner meetings. I bring in probably 10 different showrunners. Each of the mentees sits in front of the class with the showrunner, and they do a mock meeting for about five to ten minutes. And then that writer gets feedback on how they did in the meeting, gets feedback from the showrunner, which is invaluable, and um, also from the class. I have a night called Cone of Silence, which is the real inside story of what it takes to move to the next level from being a staff writer. And um, that's pretty much it. That's, it's an encompassing, all-encompassing program, and uh, we never sort of part with our alumni. They um, are people that we stay in touch with. They sort of are with us for life, sadly for them perhaps, or not. <laughs> And um, part of the program is when there is the right show for the right runner, mm-hmm. uh, for the right writer, we will pay for a staff writer slot on one of our CBS or CW shows. Oh, that's great. Which makes it much easier for them to bring on the writer to their show because their salary doesn't come out of the show's budget. So I think that's fantastic. Right. It gives them an opportunity yeah. to... It's up. an opportunity, it's for the first 20 weeks, and it's an opportunity for a writer, somebody like Greta Heinemann, you said, uh, 
that you had interviewed her. Yeah, she's great. She's a rock star. We have a number of rock stars who they it gives them the opportunity to prove how invaluable they are. And once they're invaluable, then a showrunner will find the money in their budget to keep them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. Sometimes you just need that foot in the door, and that sounds like... Yes. Yeah. And that, that's what the program is about. It's access and a foot in the door and an opportunity to hone your skills, both your writing chops and your presentation skills and your meeting skills. Mm-hmm. And... What is expected of the participants when they're in the program? Uh, Good question. Um, Well, we expect them to take notes from their executives Mm -hmm. in a very open way, in a positive way, and not be defensive. Part of the purpose of that mentoring ship in that – oh, and also – the people in the program spend a day in a writer's room so that they understand what that's really like. They spend a day shadowing in current in current departments so they can see what it's like on the other side of the desk. Mm. Um, in terms of what's expected from them, to be there at every session of the workshops, to write a script on time with their mentors, to be present, to be enthusiastic, and to do the homework because they have homework in the workshops. Mm-hmm. What kind of homework? Well, I have each of them do a business plan, oh. so that we, so that they realize that they have to take ownership of their career, and it's not just I'll get an agent and then everything will be fine. Right. It's, what do I bring to the table? How do I have to uh, use my resources to accomplish my goals? What are my goals? So that's homework. And then I, and, and maybe we can talk about this a little bit later, mm-hmm. I have people do their personal log line, their personal A story, and personal nuggets, which are um, anecdotes about their life, which shows something about their character that they want people to know about and is also colorful and memorable. So they have to come up with new ones every week. Oh, they wow. say that's sort of the hardest thing, but the most beneficial thing. Right. Right. Yeah, because that's something for storytellers, especially, they're used to telling other people's stories, not usually their own. So that's great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, For for the applicants who sort of qualify for the interview portion of the process, because I know that you apply, you send your material, and then a certain number of them will qualify for the interview process, which... Uh, they have to obviously present themselves to you guys. Um, what types of questions do you guys ask and, and what uh, about the candidates are you looking to learn about? That's a great question. So if you've made it through the first round and your material is what I call blazing hot, mm-hmm. then you get an interview. <clears throat> Excuse me. And in the interview will be my colleague, Jeannie Now, who's Vice President of Diversity. I'll be there Sometimes Whitney Davis, who's the director of diversity, mm-hmm. and uh, Tiffany Smith on Oahe, who is the senior vice president of diversity, maybe in the meeting. Often it's just Jeannie and I. Mm-hmm. And so the first question we ask people is, so tell us about yourself. We want their story, what I call their A story. Right. And um, the more memorable, the more colorful, the better. Then we'll probably ask, how did you decide you wanted to be a writer? Mm-hmm. And people should have a good answer for that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we'll ask them, what do you watch on television? 
and we don't want people just to say the CBS shows. That's a little too ass-kissy. Right. Uh, any shows that they are excited about. Then we ask, what shows do you think, with with your writing skills, your your um, the things that is sort of your sweet spot about what you write, what shows would you be right for? What shows would be best shows for you to work on and why? What do you bring to the table that makes you the right person for that show? And often we're interested in the CBS and the CW shows like that mm-hmm. so that we know can we place them. And what we're looking for are people's meeting skills. Are they good in a room? Because in tele- in features, you can kind of be a lump and it's okay. <laughs> right. Uh, Although it's not preferable, but sure. but you can be so you know you could be like a playwright, you know, yeah, very quirky and. But in television, you're going to be on a writing staff, and you have to be able to get along with people, mm-hmm. and so that's something that we're looking for. Gotcha. No, that's great. That's very helpful. Um, let me say one other thing. Yeah, about yeah. It. Um, and this isn't just for my program. This is for all the programs. Mm-hmm. In addition to your material, you'll be asked for a letter of interest or an essay about who you are. It's really important to know that that essay, that letter, is your second writing sample. Mm. It isn't. It's not a college essay. It's not a corporate essay. It really shows your skills as a writer, and you want to grab somebody. You want to say your accomplishments. You want to say what's colorful about you and memorable about you. You don't want it to be too personal. We don't. You don't want people to know about your eating disorder, but it should be personal enough that we get an idea of who you are. And you should really spend a lot of time working on that. I work with my clients a lot on that essay. A lot of people hire me because they want help with how do you put that essay together? How do you put that letter of interest together? So that's that's sort of the whole, you know, picture of the CBS program. Oh, that's great. Um, and I'm sure everybody asks you this, and they ask me this, and I have no good answer specifically. Um, and I know you can't answer directly because I'm sure it's a case-by-case basis. But what is a good show to spec? I'm just wondering if you have any suggestions to help a perspective out. I do. I do. Be. Oh, perfect. I... Awesome. I don't mind talking about it at all. These are my opinions. I read specs. I read, you know, 60 specs for the CBS program. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the best ones get through to me and to Jeannie. So in comedy, here's what I can recommend. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Excuse me. I like reading Archers. I think they're pretty fun. Mm. Um, Mom, the CBS show. Yeah. Blackish mm-hmm. on ABC. Silicon Valley on HBO. Oh, yeah. Broad City on... Uh, Comedy Central, Kimmy Schmidt on Netflix, You're the Worst, which is on FXX, and my new favorite, which is Love on Netflix. It just got a second season, and it's a little risky because it's new, but I think it's a terrific show. It's really, (laughs) these people are really self-involved and neurotic and (laughs) self-destructive, but I like it. Right. Um, 
I would avoid anything that's been on for more than three or four years. Mm -hmm. So I wouldn't write a modern family. I certainly have seen more modern families than I ever need to see another one. Same with Big Bang Theory. If it's been on the air for more than four years, don't do it. And and sometimes more than three years. Mm -hmm. You also want to avoid writing shows that aren't particularly well-written. And this is just me. People write Brooklyn Nine-Nine all the time. Mm -hmm. I think that it's not the best written show on the air. Mm -hmm. And I don't mean to offend anybody. Um, You want something that really is is well-written and uh, strives for something other than just the laughs. Because that'll make your work stand out. Mm -hmm. So that's comedy. In drama... You might want to do a Bates Motel if that's your um, if that's in your wheelhouse. Mm-hmm. The Affair, mm-hmm. even though that's a um, uh, you know a serialized show. Lucifer. Now Lucifer is interesting on Fox. I love Lucifer. Lucifer is the new castle, but instead of it being a a crime writer, it's the devil. Right. Uh, it has not gotten a pickup yet for right. second season. So you might not want to write it. It's a little too, it's, it's a little risky at this point. You could write a Madam Secretary, hmm. um, certainly an Empire, a Mr. Robot, even though that's tough to write. It's a great show. Right. Halt and Catch Fire. Uh, the Americans, although I'm starting to see a lot of those. So you might want to be careful how to get away with murder. Jane the Virgin is a really fun show, and Blacklist, even though it's been around a long time, you can come up with, if you can come up with a great idea for Blacklist, I I think it doesn't hurt at all for procedural. Mm -hmm. Um, I would avoid, as I said, anything that's been on for a long time. I saw so many good wives, I thought I would throw up if I saw another good wife. (laughs) It's a fantastic show, but everybody was specking it. It's going off the air, so you wouldn't write one of those. You wouldn't write A Criminal Mind, which has been on the air like 11 years, or Castle. And what people should know is that networks do not mind reading cable shows at all. They're interested in them. Oh, great. Yeah, so those, those especially for writers who may not have... Uh, apply to a program or might not be familiar with them. Some of the basic rules are, yeah, basically do not write something that's been on too long. Like you had mentioned three or four years because they're probably overwritten. You guys have read a thousand of them. Um, another good rule you had uh, mentioned is make sure you, the show that you're writing has a pickup for next season because yeah. you don't, if it's, if it's canceled, then you've got one shot and then you have to toss it and write another one. Although for some people that may not be a horrible thing because the more you write, the better you get, but it's exactly. better to have samples that can last a, a couple of years if, if possible. Um, exactly. You're exactly right. Um, um, oh, go yeah. on. No, I'm just going to say you want to keep writing specs, even if you write, you just said it. The more you write, the better you get. Yeah. And everybody wants to read pilots, and I read pilots in both of my programs that, that there's a uh, script component to it. But I really think it's helpful to write spec first mm-hmm. because then you get a sense of what the rhythm of, of television is and how shows are structured and how scenes are structured and how they flow and what act breaks are. I just really think for new people, it's a great way to start. Right. Absolutely. 
Um, okay, now let's shift gears maybe, and we can talk a little bit about Humanitas, the new voices program, because that people get paid. I mean, it's a grant of $15,000 that you give to, what is it, four new TV four. writers, emerging TV writers? So maybe yeah. you can talk a little bit about that program and what it entails. Sure. Sure. That's for people that have a body of work mm -hmm. because the winners, as you said, we pick four winners. Each one of them gets $15,000 in a grant. Mm -hmm. And they write a pilot script under the mentorship of a showrunner. So if somebody only has one pilot script and you need a pilot or a one-act stage play to apply, if they if they only have one thing in their portfolio, they're probably not ready to take the time of a showrunner, take up the time of mm. a showrunner. Because showrunners don't real, you know, they're incredibly busy. They don't want to do TV 101, right. but they do want to help. They do want to give back. So it's somebody with a body of work who understands how you write for television. And it's also about meeting skills. You know, all programs are about meeting skills as well. But it's a wonderful opportunity. Uh, I wish more people knew about it because there aren't many programs that give money. In fact, other than ABC, which will give you $50,000 a year, over right. the year, mm -hmm. as a salary, this is one of the few ones that just give you money for winning. And you can use that money to help you spend more time writing. Right, absolutely. Um, and when you had, you had mentioned... Um, it's it's more for writers with a body of work. What do you mm -hmm. mean by that in terms of how how much material should they have, how experience should they have, how much work experience should they have, that kind of thing? That's a really good question. Um, they can be at the level of a staff writer, mm -hmm. but no higher than that. They can be represented or unrepresented. I would like to see a couple of scripts or plays in their portfolio. So it's more than just one. Right. Two, three, more than three is great because, as you said, the more you write, the better you get. Right. Um, occasionally somebody, you know, it's, it's freaky. Somebody will write who's never written for television before is going to write a pilot and it gets picked up to series. That, like, happens almost never. Right. But people should not have that expectation. Mm -hmm. But as I said, you know, two or three pieces, you know, writing samples, pilots, stage plays, spec scripts, that's what I would hope to see. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we, we like to ask when we bring on TV writers and screenwriters, I normally ask them, how many scripts did you write before you sold your first script or got your first booked your first job, got in your first writer's room, whatever. Almost never do they say it was one or two. It's always half a dozen or a dozen. I mean, it's it's many. Um, I remember uh, Brandon Braga, who uh, is doing Salem now, you know, did has done so much TV, Star Trek Next Generation. Um, he said he lost count. I mean, it was just so many. And that's, mm -hmm. I think, the thing that you sort of have to look at it like. It's not a sprint. It's a marathon. And just keep yeah. writing and getting better. Um, go ahead. My favorite story of that is Sean Ryan, who created The Shield. Yeah, and brilliant. was either creator or showrunner on six other series. Mm -hmm. So this guy is remarkable. Right out of college, 
he won, he was a playwright, he was a, and he did comedic plays, and he won a contest. And the winner of that contest went and observed, went to Hollywood, because he was in Vermont, went to Hollywood and observed in a writer's room, a comedy writer's room. And he did that, and he ended up getting a script to write. And he thought, I don't know what everybody's talking about this being so hard. This is, like, pretty easy. <laughs> and then, after he wrote a really good script, he got on a television series, a comedy television series. And again, he said, I don't know what people are talking about. Mm -hmm. And then he didn't get work for five more years. <laughs> and the problem was he didn't have really good writing chops. Mm -hmm. And he wrote script after script. And finally, he said to his manager, can you give me an example of what scripts are getting buzzed this year? What scripts are getting people jobs? And his manager sent him a couple of scripts. And he looked, he compared his scripts to their scripts. And his scripts might have three or four really great beats in them, in the page. And there's every beat was great. Mm -hmm. Every line of dialogue was terrific. He ended up writing 16 scripts, I think, before he got his next job. Mm -hmm. And he's obviously been working ever since. Oh, sure. But he, he realized that good wasn't good enough. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, the, the rare occasion where you hear somebody, they wrote, oh, it was my first script or my second script, and they, uh, they got a job from it or it's old. Almost to the person, if you dig deeper, like we had on um, uh, Albert Kim uh, from uh, Sleepy Hollow now. He, yeah. I think he got a job right away from his first spec from what I from what I remember but he was for years uh, a journalist he had written for ESPN he had written for People magazine Entertainment Weekly he, and he was an yeah. editor so he had a writing background it, it's not like he just sat down at a computer started writing and all of a sudden got a job he had been writing for yeah. years and years and years yes and there's a guy named Mickey Fisher. Yeah. Who I know Mickey. You know, you know about Mickey. He yeah. he wrote um uh Extant. Extant. Yeah. And he didn't know anybody. He was living in New York. He was starving as a playwright. He put it on the blacklist and an agent a, a, an assistant to an agent at CAA, I think, read it, loved it tried to pitch it to her bosses. They wouldn't listen to her. Finally, they read it. They thought it was great. They got Amblin involved. Stephen loved it. They went out, and they got a 13-episode on-the-air commitment. Now, people look at him and say, he came out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. Now, he did. He came from New York, but he'd written a couple of different pilots before he wrote this one, and he'd been a playwright for years. Yeah. So I couldn't agree with you more. It is not about, hi, I never wrote anything. I sat down at my computer, and I thought, hey, I'll write a pilot, and it gets made. It, it's almost never like that. Right, absolutely, absolutely, which is also a, a good thing to preach to writers who are serious, newer writers, because if you write a script or two and they don't sell, don't give up. It doesn't mean that you won't make it. It just means you got to keep trying. 
So right. hopefully it'll give some people hope that have written their second or third and just keep going. You know, don't give up. Just because you've written a couple and you haven't sold or haven't gotten a job doesn't mean that you won't if you keep working at it. Oh, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, in in When I work with my clients, I talk about the four pillars of what you need to be successful. And the first one is blazing hot material. Mm-hmm. And blazing hot material, how do you know if it's blazing hot? Well, the phone rings, and agents want to meet with you, and managers want to take you out to lunch, and producers want to either make that one, or they want you to write one of their ideas. Mm-hmm. And if that isn't happening, that just means that it's not blazing hot yet. You're just not there yet. Mm-hmm. And you sh- And what it means is don't give up, like you just said. Right. Um, I also think that it's important to have somebody who's in the business read your material and tell you whether it's in the ballpark or not. Right. Because you can toil in in West Virginia and and not know whether or not it is. And I think that when your material is blazing hot, you'll know it because things like happened with Mickey Fisher, things mm-hmm. like happened with Mr. Kim, those things will happen. And until then, you just keep writing until you get there. Right. And to springboard off of that, I wanted to mention that um, people, some people think that your material is fantastic. And it, maybe it is. But if it's not, if, you, if, as you said, if you're not getting those calls, you're not getting that reaction that it's great, maybe it's not as good as you think it is. Um, <laughs> but that's not to say that it, it if you continue working, you can't get that piece of material. It's easy to blame something else. It's like, oh, I don't have connections. It's all who you know. I mean, and right. don't get me wrong. Connections are important. Networking is important. But that piece of material trumps all. I was talking to a manager yesterday, and he actually I've spoken to a number of managers, and they all sort of reiterate the same thing. But he it just came to my head the visual that he came up with that – executives, producers, agents, managers, they're all panning for gold. And what is that gold? It's the material. It's your scripts. They're all looking for it. Now, they do have the the checks and balances, the filters you have to go through, the interns and the readers and all this to get there because there's just so much of it out there. But they're all panning for gold. They want you to succeed. They want you – they want the greatest script on their desk. They're not avoiding it. They're not – trying it's not oh i'm only going to work with people that i know they want the great material there's just so much out there to filter through that if yours doesn't stand out as like you said blazing hot it can be difficult to get through that noise that's out there absolutely it's it's um the it and it can you know very very rarely does a blazing hot piece of material not get found Mm-hmm. It, it, there's a story about Madonna's manicurist that I like to tell. Um, because you never know how your script is going to get into somebody's hands. So Madonna has a manicurist that she travels around with when she does shows, but when she doesn't, this woman has her own shop or she works in a shop. And there was a woman who would come in for her weekly manicures and tell her, my son is a great writer. And the manicures would go, uh-huh, uh-huh. And finally, after months of this, she said, would you read his script? Will you give it to Madonna? 
And the woman finally, to get her to shut up, said, okay. And she read it. And, you know, everybody is a critic about things. But she thought it was a great script. So she gave it to Madonna's assistant. And the assistant really liked it and showed it to Madonna. And Madonna gave it to her agent. And the agent really liked it. And that kid got signed. Mm-hmm. Because you just never know how it's going to get to somebody. But right. great material will always will always find its way. So right. if your material's been out there for three or four months and you're not getting those meetings, it just means you're not quite ready yet. Yeah, yeah. Um, and writers are money machines. So that's why agents and managers and producers, they want somebody to be great because they want to make money. Absolutely. And that's how you do it. Absolutely. Um, that's 100% right. It's just, I think sometimes when writers send material out and they don't get the response, yeah. sometimes the, the the first reaction is, oh, because I don't know somebody, if I just knew somebody who can get my material in the right hands, when oftentimes, right. most of the time, it's the material itself. And that's not to say that it can't be great, but at, in its current condition, maybe you're too close to it. You don't realize that it's not at that point yet. And, and maybe it is. Maybe everyone else that's read it or maybe if it does get in the right hands, it will be bought and be fantastic. But 99 out of 100 times, it's it's just not there yet. You are speaking the truth so. because that is, in fact, the truth. <laughs> and there, there is a way that if it's great, it will be, you know, if it's great and you submit it, anybody can submit to competition. Absolutely. And if it, if it wins the competition people will know who you are. Right. Absolutely. Nickel, Austin, all those big uh, fellowships yeah. and, and contests. Uh, and if, if you apply to a bunch of them and don't get into, don't find, you know, not a finalist or a winner of any of them, then it's probably your material, not the individual. Because in individual contests, yes, anything can happen. Some great scripts get rejected from uh, fellowships and contests probably all the time. But if you do enough of them and doesn't, do well at any of them, then it's probably the material, not the contest themselves. There's no bias against you and your material. Right. If they're generally red blinds, so right. um, they don't know who is submitting it. It usually just has a number. And you're right. If, if, you're, if you're not getting that kind of reaction, if you're not winning, then that means you're just not there yet. It doesn't mean to give up. It just means to get better and to write more and to get feedback and to take risks and to improve um, each time to get better. You know, look at the best scripts that you can. Look at, if you're writing for television, look at the pilot scripts of the best shows on the air and see if your script matches up to that in terms of the level of creativity, in terms of the level of what the concept is and how the characters are developed and how the dialogue is. That's the best way to find out. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Now, taking a little turn here, um, it's a little soft plug, but I think a very worthwhile one. Uh, Greta Heinemann, uh, who was in the CBS Writers Program and the Humanitas, I think she won the, uh, was a finalist or the winner of Humanitas as well and staffed on NCS New Orleans and has been on the podcast and has written some, a pair of great articles for us about fellowships, um, 
and diversity programs and stuff, which if you're listening to this and you're thinking about applying to any of them, you should definitely read them. You can find them on our website because she did a great job with them. Um, but she she is effusive both on the podcast and in, in the articles about your book, Hollywood Game Plan. Wow. Um, so can you tell us what writers, aspiring writers, can learn from reading Hollywood Game Plan and maybe share a few of your favorite or most useful pieces of advice or information from it? Sure. Um, well, I wrote the book initially for people who... And, and this is more for college graduates in the beginning, and then I found out that people at every level were getting a lot out of the book. Out of the book. Mm-hmm. Um, I wrote it just to help people learn how to navigate the business, what the unwritten rules are, mm-hmm. you know, how you present yourself in the best possible light so that people want to help you or hire you, and really how you develop a competitive edge when you're competing with other people for those gigs. Um, we talk about, we, I talk about <laughs> how to take a meeting, how to prepare what I call the power prep, where to live in L.A. if you're new to L.A., okay. what to wear to a meeting, um, and how to develop your own personal PR strategy. And, and for that, I mean... I think everybody needs a personal log line, which is just a sentence or two that answers the question, what do you do? And then a personal A story, which is a narrative story with you as the protagonist. It's about three or four minutes, and it answers the question that we ask people in the CBS program and in the Humanitas program and in showrunner programs sometimes, tell me about yourself. It's your personal story of how you got to where you are that's memorable, that's compelling, that shows your successes as well as what makes you colorful and memorable as a writer. And then, as I said, this the personal nuggets, which are your anecdotes, which mm-hmm. you talk about them and you show something about your character. And you do that in a subtle way. You don't say, I'm fearless. You should tell a story about being fearless. Right. In the book, I also talk about what you have to do, and this wouldn't apply to writers really, you know, how you get internships, how you move, how you do a lateral move from one business into show business, how you deal with rejection, Hmm. and the importance, and we talk a lot about networking, although I hate the word networking, I call it connecting, Hmm. and how you connect with people so that you come up with a community of people that you have a connection to, that you have a mutually beneficial relationship with. I talk about how to find a mentor and treat her right or treat him right. It sort of covers the, it sort of covers most of the bases in terms of what you need to know to break in and to stay in and the things that people won't tell you and what they don't tell you in film school. Right. Well, and it's funny because you had mentioned some of the things that may not apply to writers, but as you're listing them, I'm thinking rejection, check, that applies to writers. They're going to face a lot of it. Um, internships, I know, a lot, especially in television, uh, just try, maybe not an internship, but trying to get a job on any, in the, on a show, on any capacity you can and work your way closer to that writer's room. 
Um, I, I've spoken to showrunners that said they hired for the writer's room or a writer's assistant or a showrunner's assistant, somebody who worked in the art department as an assistant, but was super helpful and just super positive and wanted to write and made that known and were awesome. And then he moved them in. So that is definitely applicable as well. So I definitely think that that's all useful. You know, I, I think you're right. And the hierarchy in a writing room on a television show, I mean, there's always exceptions, but mm -hmm. You get in the door by being a writer's PA. Yeah. And when you prove yourself as a writer's PA, you become the assistant to an executive producer. And when you prove yourself at that, you get a chance to be a writer's assistant. Mm -hmm. It's very hard to get the writer's assistant jobs. Those are like as hard to get as a staff writer job. Maybe even and more being so. A writer, and, and sometimes more so. Yeah. You're right. You're absolutely right. It's, it's not an easy job, but it gives you access to the room and to prove yourself. And yeah. from there, you would be a staff writer. And it's interesting because my daughter is applying for internships now. She's an aspiring comedy writer. Not what I would have chosen for her because <laughs> it's not an easy road, but it's what she loves. And, you know, I'm working with – my husband was saying this. So she asked me questions on how do I how do I phrase this, what should I say, and – there was one day that she was filling out, you know, forms for an internship and I wasn't home. So she took my book and figured out how to do it that way. It's it, getting that PA gig yeah. is like getting an internship. Absolutely. And, you know, I talk about that in the book. It's, it's the same thing. It's how you make yourself invaluable. Yeah, absolutely. Um, now, let's, let's talk a little bit about Park on the Lot because you also lecture, teach courses and seminars. Um, who... Obviously, everyone can benefit in some way from different parts of it, but can maybe you can explain a little bit about some of the stuff that you teach and, uh, you know, where we can learn sure. more? Sure, sure. So I do, I do workshops, uh -huh. and I lecture, and um, I have an upcoming webinar called Break-In Boot Camp, at the mm -hmm. teleseminar, actually. And it's four weeks, and it's for people who need to break into the business. And that's probably going to be June. And I'm also doing a webinar on um, how you give a killer meeting because being great in a room and knowing how to do a meeting is essential. Your material, mm -hmm. if your material is blazing hot, you're going to get a meeting. And you could blow it in a meeting, or you might feel sure. very uncomfortable or anxious about a meeting, so we cover that, and um, if people are interested in, in finding out when those are going to be, they could go to my website, which is parkonthelot.com, and if they sign up for the newsletter, then, oh, and also, it's a little bit of a plug, sure. um, if you are interested in developing your own personal log line, if you go to parkonthelot.com, and go to the blogs, you can download the template that I created for how you develop your personal log line. And then through Park on the Lot, I work with um, a few select clients. I really take clients, and, and the way that I determine whether or not I take a client is whether I really feel I can help them. Right. So I choose to take people who are who understand the business pretty well and who need to learn how to market themselves. They need to learn whether or not their material is blazing hot. They need 
help with creating that community of people um, who are like-minded, who who you have a mutually beneficial relationship with. And they may have all those things, but they may not really understand how the business works. Mm-hmm. So, the, And meeting skills and pitching skills. And so that's what I work with my clients on. Um, I offer a free... 20-minute strategy session for people, um, I can either give advice, which I do, it's just a way to give back, or we can talk about whether or not you would be a good coaching client, whether I'd be the right coach for you. And I work with people who are new, and I work with people who are already in the business and moving up. It's funny, because I was talking to um, Jeffrey Lieber, who was showrunner on NCS New Orleans, Showrunner mm-hmm. on on Necessary Roughness on USA. Is, you know, obviously he is been in the business a long time, almost twenty years, done a lot. And he was talking about his writing process. We were talking about his writing process, and he said, "Yeah, and you know, sometimes I'll meet with my writing writers group." And I'm thinking he needs a writers group. But even when you move up the Fuji, when you're a professional writer, sometimes you still. I mean, it's the best sort of sounding boards or other writers or other people in the business that you can bounce ideas off of. Sometimes you need to, and you're always constantly learning and growing. Every interview I do, I'm learning things too. So it's great. Um, Yes. And that's why there's a writer's room. Yeah. Except for Mr. Robot, I think where he's writing every single one of them himself. (laughs) People, people, showrunners need the input from their staff. Right. And writers who are on staff, I know many of them that that have writers groups, and usually the writers group people at the same level start, you know, at the starting level, and then as they move up, the people in their writing group move up. Yeah. So it becomes a trusted circle of friends who will give you honest input on your material, and also share ideas with you and and share job opportunities with yeah. you, or if you're looking for somebody, they can tell you, oh, this person is great. And I guess I also wanted to ask, uh, since you spent a lot of time working in TV development uh, at networks and, and production companies and studios, and uh, obviously for the WGA and CBS, how has the industry changed since when you first got started to now, and where do you see it going? Oh, that is a good question. Well, in television... The sea ch- there were two sea changes, and the first one was in 2003. Yeah. And that was when Josh Schwartz, an alumni of your um, film school, mm-hmm. USC, yeah. pitched an idea for the OC. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> they bought it, and they made him an executive producer. He was 26 years old. He was the youngest executive producer and any and person creative for television series. And before that, in order to get in to pitch, you had to have been on a show for seven or eight years. Mm-hmm. They didn't want to hear from you unless you could run the show yourself. And then Josh Schwartz shows up and he had this a great idea for a show, but he's never run a show. He's never even worked in television before. Right. And they love it. They buy it. They put him with the showrunner. And suddenly, networks and studios are looking for what I call hip, fresh, new, young. Hip, fresh, new, young. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're looking for voices outside of television to come in and give them fresh ideas. So that's, that's, that was the first sea change. And then, of course, the second sea change is the uh, streaming 
television and sure. binge watching and all the platforms that there are to create, to get content. Well, to create content, as I'm sure your speakers, you know, the people you've interviewed have said, there's over 400 scripted shows across all the platforms. Yeah. So there's tremendous opportunity. Another thing that's changed and features aren't really my bailiwick, but it used to be that there were lots of types of features that you that needed to be written, and there were lots of different writers to write them. And now it feels like there's blockbusters, right. and then there's small indie films. And studios are really not taking a lot of risks. So what one writer told me is, she said, there's only like 30 or 40 writers who the studios will work with who the production companies will work with. And if you're not in that inner circle, you're not going to be working in features, which is why tele- which is why television sprung up, but how great is that for television? Right. And how great is that for people who are feature writers who are now working in television? Mm-hmm. So Josh Schwartz was a sea change. People moving from features to television was a sea change. People moving... Uh, Technology being such that we can binge watch was another sea change in having so many platforms. And I guess even though people, except for live events, that's the only thing that, that people aren't DVRing or, or, or streaming because, you know, in terms of, of series. I still predict that there's going to be some people, and it may take a while to get back to it, who will want to see their shows every week. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It will be something that they're breathless about. They can't wait, and they sort of enjoy waiting. What I see is more and more platforms for content creators, people not having to get approval from studios and networks and production companies, people that can put their own content up there and, and give themselves their own big break. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I mean... It's definitely changing. TV is, is where it's at, the third golden age, right? Isn't that what Yes, it is. Yeah. And there's a great book about the first golden age, and you may have already talked about this on the podcast, called Difficult Men. I haven't. And I'm going to write that down. Yeah. it's. Uh, I can tell you in a minute who wrote it. I should know who wrote it. But it is a great book about showrunners like David Chase, David Simon, Vince Gilligan, Sean Ryan. And it just talks yeah. about... Um, what it was like when that just started. Hold on. Difficult men. Just a minute. Brett Martin is the writer. Great. Is the author. I'm actually going to get that book. You just. I think you'll love it. Yeah, that'd be great. Uh, and then maybe I'll do a book review. <laughs> um, you should. You should do a book review. And I guess I, I know you've got to go soon. Uh, you've got so much going on. But lastly, do you have any advice for aspiring writers or is there anything else that you'd like to share? Let me think about that. That is such a good question. I think especially with tele- – well, first of all, in terms of being a screenwriter, uh-huh. I think that you need to learn – your craft in a serious way, I think that becomes your business. Even if you have a day job, the business, you are your business. And the first order of business is to create a product that is undeniable, that is that good. And that comes 
from doing it over and over again and studying great scripts. And then it it is more than that. It, it is about if, if you're your business, if your writing career is your business, you also need to be the president of marketing because you can sit in a garret and somebody may find you. But it's but the people who succeed are often people who are able to work in their best interest. So and and meeting skills are important. So I would say that you need to develop on all three of those levels. First start with the material. First last forever is the material. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you people say write what you know. You should write what you know, but it should also be something that's completely relatable to everybody. That right. That is something that people will respond to emotionally. And it's the emotional journey of the protagonist. And as you said earlier, don't give up. Don't give up. You you need to keep doing your art because you're an artist. And don't give up. That's what I say. <laughs> Great. <laughs> um, be sure to follow Carol on Twitter. It's at Carol with an E, C-A-R-O-L-E underscore P-O-T-L. And the P-O-T-L stands for her website, parkonthelot.com. You can go find out more information there. And uh, get your uh, personal logline information and all that good stuff. Uh, and check out her book, Hollywood Game Plan, as well. We'll all have links on our website for all that. So in case you don't want to look for it, it's all on our website. Uh, thank you <laughs> so much for coming on the show and chatting with us today, Carol. It was a true pleasure. You're welcome. I have one other thing that I forgot yeah, to say. Yeah, no, absolutely. Can I say it? <laughs> yeah, sure. Of course. Here's what's true. And you alluded to it. Somebody is going to succeed. There are always writing successes. And why not have it be you? And that's what I'll end up. And thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure talking to you. It's been great. Um, Quickly, and for more great interviews and resources on the craft and business of writing, be sure to check out our companion website, scriptsandscribes.com. And if you have questions about the craft or business of writing, you can send us an email to ask at scriptsandscribes.com or send us a tweet to at scriptscribes. There's no and in the middle there, just at scriptscribes. Thank you all for listening. <laughs>